The year-long theme is maturity, based off of Hebrews 6.1, that we're supposed to uh, leave the elementary, not, uh, not get stuck on the elementary teaching about Christ, but be taken forward to maturity. And that is this entire year we're, we're looking at maturing as a church. Um, and one of the things that we are doing in, in our series is we are challenging everyone to move. Okay, so though, if this is your first time here, um, this is a, w- w- these are the four chairs representing four invitations that Jesus made to his disciples. In the beginning, he, 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 in chair one, when his disciples were not Christians yet, they were, they were just regular people, he said, come and see. Come and see what I'm doing. Very, very easy invitation, okay? Then when they, when they were, when they were uh, followers of his, the second one, he, they moved into the learner chair where he said, come follow me. Not just come and see, but come follow me. A little bit of a deeper commitment. So they begin to follow him. They begin to learn and grow. And then uh, as, as, they, as they continue to mature, his, his call changed to come follow me and I will send you out to be workers, to, to, uh, to reach the lost, okay? And then now that they have done that, then Jesus issues a fourth invitation to the disciple-maker chair, which is go and bear fruit. So the main thing today, the fourth invitation Jesus makes is to make disciples who will make disciples. Jesus says to go and bear fruit. So um, uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle, who is the pastor of Life Church, <clears throat> says that our lives move in the direction of our most powerful thoughts. So whatever your most powerful thoughts are, whatever, your, whatever dominates your mind, and everything, that's where your life is moving towards. Okay, so uh, when Jesus says to go and bear fruit, is that your most powerful thought? Because that's the direction your life will move. If you will turn to Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse, uh, it's, he, Jesus tells us the parable of the sower. It's one of my favorite ones. He says there are four types of soil. A farmer goes out and he's just sowing seed everywhere. And there are four types of soil. The first seed falls on path, kind of like this stage. Hard soil. And the birds came and ate it up. The second got into the rocky soil and it sprung up quickly because there's no root. When trouble or persecution came, they quickly fell away. And the third fell among thorn-infested soil. It tried to grow, but but, uh, the thorns choked it out. And and the, the fourth one was good soil where it produced 60, 30, 100 times what was sown. So uh, verse 23 is the seed falling in the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one that produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So how does a seed produce 100 times what was sown? See, I thought one seed produced one blade of grass, right? So what is Jesus talking about here? Well, if any of you all are like me, and you are not a yard guy. How many of y'all are yard guys? Y'all, y'all like, like immaculate yards, everything like that? Okay, okay. I'm in good company. The rest of us are total failures when it comes to yards, okay? Um, so if, if you're like me and, and, and you just uh, don't mow as, as often, what happens when your grass grows to maturity? What's on, what's on the end of it? Seeds. How many seeds? Lots of seeds. Tons of seeds, Right? So one grass seed produced a blade of grass which has hundreds of seeds. And so, guys, the, what Jesus is telling us is that when you grow to maturity as a believer, you will not just, you will produce many. You will, you, you, whatever is sown into you will be produced 160 or 30 times, 
okay? That's what Jesus is saying. In the same way, a fully grown Christian produced 160 or 30 disciples. People who have moved into, into chair four are spiritual parents. They're not just in for themselves. They are producers. They, they are parents. I, one of the most interesting things that I've seen was when I went over to Nepal, I, I, it, something really, something really kind of hit me wrong. Um, it, it, Christianity's grown there in the last 10 years from 3% to 30% of the population in 10 years, okay? It's at revival stages over there, praise God. Um, and I was in Nepal in 2018. I was teaching church planters how to study the Bible because even though it's growing really fast, they don't have seminaries. And I was just teaching them how to study the Bible. And one of the most confusing things I encountered over there was uh, when I met pastors, it seemed like everybody there was part of the same family. Um, I would meet a young pastor, and he'd point to an older pastor and say, this is my father. I was like, oh, okay, that's your dad. I, I get it. And another pastor would point to the same guy and say, he's my father. And then I met an older pastor who looked at a younger guy and said, well, he's my father. And I was thought, start, started thinking that maybe these Nepal people don't really have this parenthood thing figured out very well. But there are 30 million people in the country, so they knew what they were doing, obviously. So, so what was going on here? Well, I realized that the terminology over there was different. The young pastors were referring to the men who discipled them as their father. Okay? They used that terminology freely. And so they were all, and I mean all of them, being discipled by chair four people. That's what the, the pastors, the, the reason that Christianity was exploding over there was they had this thing figured out. These disciples were making disciples who were making disciples, and they used family terminology to do it. They would point to the person that baptized them and say, this is my father. They would look at the, at the, the woman who taught them the Bible, this is my mother, even though they're not related. It's amazing. That's the terminology the church over there is using. And I loved it because all of a sudden I knew how Christianity was exploding over there because they got this discipleship thing down. It hit me. The exponential math that we showed you three weeks ago about disciples who make disciples who make disciples, the entire world could be reached in 32 years. Every person on the planet. And you say, that's not just not possible for me. I, I can't do that. I mean, that's great for those guys over there, but that can't happen to me. Jesus has an issue with that statement. Let me tell you what he says in John 14, 12, referring to you and me. Very truly, I tell you, when the Son of God says, very truly, I tell you, guess what he's doing? He's speaking the truth, so we better listen, all right? Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So the Son of God himself looked at you and me, little rinky-dink, you and me, sitting in a, in a church in Nicholasville, Kentucky, you know, you know, major world mecca here, you know, and, and says, you will do greater things than me. Wow. Was he kidding? No, he wasn't. And so what he, what he was talking about is this. Jesus, his time on here, here on earth, had 12 disciples. One of them betrayed him, so I guess we got 11. Okay? So uh, if we believe in him, we'll do the works he did, even greater things. I See, I always thought that meant miracles, like I would heal the sick and, and, and cause, you know, people with big noses not to have big noses and, uh, you know, people that are losing hair not to lose hair. See, that's why I always thought. That's not exactly what's talking, what he's talking about. He's talking about being part of a movement that makes disciples who make disciples and reaches the world, okay? And so there are a lot of people that are saying, I'm not really sure about this. Uh, first of all, I don't know what to do. And second of all, I don't really know if I want to. And there are huge barriers from moving to, from this stage to this stage right here, huge barriers. 
Because there are changes that have to take place in your life. Changes that are so radical, so countercultural, even in the church, that most people never get it. Okay? Four changes in order for us to become disciple makers. This is the first change. Moving into chair four, become a disciple who makes disciples. The first change has happened. You have to move from consumer to producer. From consumer to producer. Matthew 21, 33 through 43, Jesus tells us this, ter- this very unsettling parable. It's very unsettling. It says this. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Okay, so they've got an agreement. They're a, he's a landowner. He owns everything, and he rents it out to some tenants. They're supposed to Produce, work for it and produce the fruit. And, he, and as a landowner, he comes, he takes a certain percentage of it. That's the deal, right? Okay? This is us. The Lord owns it all, you guys. The Lord owns this world. News flash. He created everything. It's all his. All right? It's his world, his stuff, everything. We're the tenants. We're the non-owners. That's who we are. God takes us out of our sin. He takes us out of our lostness, saves us, cleanses us, forgives our sins, heals us, and those things are good, but that's not God's ultimate goal for us. That's not God's ultimate goal for us. God's ultimate goal goal for us is like those tenants to produce the fruit in the world that he owns. And so when it's time to produce that fruit, well, the tenants did what a lot of us do when it's time. Verse 35, the tenants seized seized the servants, they beat one, they killed another, they stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to him, more than the first time, and the servants treat, and the tenants treated them the same way. Why did they do this? Why did they do this to the, the landowner or the, that the Lord was sending them? It's easy. They forgot who was sovereign. They started to think they were the owners. That's why. They began to regard the owner as an outsider, and barring a major work of grace in the people in this church and online, as much as I love you, as much as I care about you, a lot of us still think of God as an outsider. And how how dare he tell us what to do? Many of us believe God to be an outsider, an unwelcome guest, barged into your house, barged into your life, tells you what to do. Oh, you know, we'll take the blessings. We'll take the blessings, you know, especially when we're in trouble. You know, God, get me out of this. Save me here. Forgive my sins. I need you to do this for me. But in the end, the tenants thought the vineyard was theirs. And what they produced was theirs. Hey, that's like us. See, God gives us life. He gives us talents and abilities. But the fruit of those abilities and talents, are we supposed to share? Do we share them with him? Not really. And when God calls us to use those talents and abilities for his kingdom and not for ourselves, well, we honestly get upset upset and tell them to get lost true but verse 37 jesus tells he says last of all he sent his son to them they'll respect my son he said but when the tenants saw the son they said to each other this is the heir come let's kill him and take his inheritance so they threw him, they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him verse 40 therefore when the owner of the vineyard comes what will he do to these tenants Jesus asked, and the people replied, he'll bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and, they will, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, here's the verse, here it is, listen. Therefore, I, will tell, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will what? Produce its fruit. 
Here are four people or people that are different than the tenants in this parable, okay? They are ones who are producers, not consumers. If you want to know who, are, who is a producer or a consumer, if you want to know if you're a producer and consumer, just watch someone at a church potluck. Should have had a potluck today. Potluck would have been great today, okay? Seriously, look, look, at, look at what happens at a church potluck. All right, if you bring a 20-piece bucket of chicken, excellent, and only eat three pieces, you're a producer. You have brought more than you have taken out. Well, if you bring nothing and you eat three plates, well, you're a consumer. You're a person who takes out more than you give. What about you when it comes to the church? What about when it comes to God's kingdom? Are you a producer or are you a consumer? Most of us are consumers, honestly, and that's why chair four people are hard to come by. Okay? We're consumers of worship. We, we, uh, we, we're, we love to come to church and consume. We consume music. We consume the sermon. We consume, and many times the sermon isn't good. You say, I wasn't fed today. Everybody ever said that? Yeah, I wasn't fed today. It happens a lot in this church. Yeah, uh, it really does. Um, we, we choose churches based on what the church offers us instead of what we can offer the church. Uh, we need a cool children's ministry, uh, happening youth ministry for our kids. We need this and that program. If it doesn't happen, there are a hundred other churches we can go to uh, that may have exactly what we're wanting to consume, right? Well, chair four person looks at things very differently, very differently, okay? Chair four persons are looking for consumption. They're looking for community. Why? Because there are people in that community that need them. Okay, they, they, they look at themselves as what I can offer. Um, producer is someone who says, let me show what it means to follow Christ. I want to be part of a church, I want to be part of a community because I, I, I want to be the example. I want people to follow me as I follow Christ. Okay, that's what Paul said, the Apostle Paul. Right? See, guys, when I was a child, I was a consumer. So are you. So are all kids. It's a necessary stage we go through. There's nothing wrong with that. I brought no income to my household. I, I expended a lot. I used heat. I used electricity. I used food, water. My parents paid for sports, clothes, toys, you name it. I left all the lights in the house on all the time. And I don't think my parents ever financially recovered from that. How many of you parents have kids that leave all the lights on all the time? Okay, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I didn't think I was alone. But, you know, now, but now, now you guys, I mean, I was a kid. But now I'm an adult. All right, now I'm, I'm expected to produce. I'm expected to give more than I receive. I pay for things that I don't see the direct benefit of. Okay? I, I give and I sacrifice. And all you adults in here, you do the same. That's called being an adult. We don't even think about it. Simply what adults do because we're not children anymore. That's what the chair four person looks at the church in God's kingdom and says. The same is true in our walk with Christ. When we mature, we give out far more than we bring in. It's just what a real adult does. We move from being consumers to being producers. So just out of curiosity, adults, what is our opinion of a grown man or grown woman that, that, that takes more than they uh, give out? What, what, what would be our, our opinion of a grown adult, a grown mom or dad that eats too much and the kids starve? What, what, would, what would our opinion of a, an adult be who has nice clothes and the kids are in rags? I mean, my goodness. What, would our, what, was our, what is our opinion of that? That's terrible. All right? So we have to have larger and larger numbers of people in this church who move from being consumers to being producers. All right? These are more than just chair three workers, people who by their example and by their investment of time are passing on their relationship with, with Jesus to other people around them. 
Okay? They need to leave a net positive influence on the church and on the kingdom. So um, uh, when Jesus arrived, how many Christians were there? Zero. Well, one, him. When he, when he died, there were 11. So he made 11 disciples who could make disciples. He had a net positive influence on the world. Jesus was a producer. So how about you? Let's bring it home. Are you having a net positive influence on the church and on God's kingdom? Are you giving more financially than you're benefiting from? Are you making more disciples than simply yourself? Are you leading people to a closer walk with Jesus? Or or if you happen to disappear, this is ugly to think about. If you happen to disappear, no great ministry would stop. No great program would go unfunded. No great drop in disciples would happen. I'm afraid many of us have what I call a toxic K-love relationship with church and God's kingdom. All right? I have a toxic relationship with, with K-love. I, I, my name is David, and I'm a toxic K-love person. Okay? Uh, I was flipping through the radio channels uh, one time, and, and I got to K-love. I don't listen to it very much. I, I do every now and then. Um, but it was pledge drive time. You know what I did? I turned it off. Why? Because I don't give to support it. Um, I, I, I listen to it sometimes, and my kids do, and they play some good music. I got nothing wrong with it. But I'm a consumer. And when I'm called to produce, I don't. If it disappeared, I wouldn't be too broken up. And I'm afraid that that's the way a lot of us have, that's a relationship a lot of us have with the church and with God's kingdom. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good, it's a good thing, and I don't have any problem with it, but if I'm called to produce, that's eh, not for me. So if you are a toxic K-love, toxic church, toxic, toxic God's kingdom person, I'm gonna ask you to change. Because guys, it's not right. Jesus has something so much better for us than that. So how did Jesus end this parable? Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to those who will produce its fruit. It doesn't say consume its fruit. Produce its fruit. Okay? So moving from chair, moving into chair four, we move from being consumers to being producers. The second change is we move from being dependent to autonomous. And this is scary for some people. You know who this is most scary for? This is scary for, for church leaders. Okay? Because uh, it, it's interesting. Hebrews 6.1, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teaching about Christ, be taken forward to maturity. Um, I remember the first time I was challenged to read the Bible. I was in a band with a, with a guy that, that was a very dedicated Christian. And he told me at band practice one time when I was 19 that he'd just gotten done reading the New Testament. And I was like, really? You read the Bible? You, people do that? I thought this guy was like some super apostle. Maybe like one of the prophets from the Old Testament. And, and I said, you read the New Testament? He goes, yeah, don't you have a Bible? And I said, yeah, like four. And he goes, you ever consider reading it? I was like, well, I just didn't think anyone did that kind of stuff. I thought that's what ministers did. I didn't realize that 19-year-olds read the Bible, let alone the whole New Testament. Therefore, people need less and less of the preacher. As a matter of fact, they really rarely look to Sunday morning as their biggest time of growth. And a lot of times, share four people think there's something wrong with them because of that. No, there's nothing wrong with you. I mean, if, if, if the sermon is not your primarily, primary mode of growth, that's fine. What that means is you've learned how to feed yourself. 
You've gone from dependent to autonomous. There's nothing wrong with you. You've matured to the point where, you know, what I say isn't necessarily uh, your biggest means of growing. It's okay. And, and, and so I can hear someone say, so you're telling chair four people they don't need to be in church? No, I'm not saying that at all. Chair four people need to be in church more than anyone else. And, and um, absolutely, I mean, uh, chair four people need worship. Chair four people, they need to be part of the kingdom. More than that, somebody here may need you. Somebody here may need to see a Christian man. Praying, leading his family. Someone here may need to see a Christian woman uh, leading her family. You know, you may be needed by somebody. You begin to viewing Sunday morning not so much about what you can get as what you can give because you've moved from dependent to autonomous. I guess if anyone qualifies here, here qualifies as a chair four person, that'd be me, I guess, I hope. I hope I'm a chair four person. And I'm telling you, I need Sunday morning more than any of you. I need you all more than you all need me, believe me. You all don't, you all don't understand that. And until you're in ministry, you don't understand that. But I need you guys in the church more than anybody needs me. I, I teach several times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon at Jasmine County Attention Center, Wednesday night community group, financial coaching uh, sessions. I counsel couples having trouble, I disciple individuals I meet with every single week. I'm always teaching or mentoring or coaching. And that's draining, spiritually draining. And guys, that, and, and mission, after that, mission trips need to be planned, trying to be an example to my family, discipling my kids who are my first disciples. Sunday morning worship's essential, guys. I need it. If you're a chair four, you need Sunday mornings. You do. You need to be part of the church. You say, well, you're the pastor. You have to be here. No, I don't have to be here. I really don't. I don't want to be here. I mean, even when we're on vacation, we still go to church. Why? Because being a part of a church is essential to being a Christian. See, Sunday morning, uh, chair four people begin to see Sunday morning as a place where they give. They give their worship. They give their wisdom. They give their finances. The finances. They give their encouragement. They've learned to feed themselves like adults have. Okay, they've learned to study scripture. They're listening to Christian podcasts. They're involved in ministry that nourishes their souls. But whatever means you use to grow, you're doing it already. Okay, you're autonomous, and that's that's uh, 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 that can be scary to some church leaders because all of a sudden. These people are autonomous, can't control them. Maybe they have different ideas than us. You know, you know what, that doesn't scare me at all. I love that because I want people to own their faith and I want people to go after that which God has for them. The less people depend on me to do ministry, the better because that means we are producing fruit for the kingdom. Um, I, uh, I made a mental list of the ministries that have been started here. Started, not continue, started out of this church, all right? And I know I'm going to forget some, but these are some I just, off the top of my head. The first one, well, Cattle's Christian Church, obviously. A group of us started this church. Um, active Water, digging wells and planting uh, churches in rural villages. Uh, Asian Church Planting Mission, planting churches in persecuted countries in Asia. Uh, Cattle's Orphanage, over 151 children. Inside Out Dad, reaching incarcerated fathers. Global Redemption, a ministry in Haiti that, that's, that serves that country. Uh, both of our missionaries in Honduras, Rob Esposito and Laura Baxter, who are joining us this morning. What's up, Rob and Laura? You guys are awesome. Um, International Orphan Rescue in India, serving or saving orphans from, uh, from, from the, the awful stuff that, that, that they do there. We're planning Elevate Christian Church in, in August. Hope's Embrace, which is a, 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 a doula service serving expectant mothers. And the list just goes on. I know I forgot. Those are things that have been started out of this church. I love it. People have gone from dependent autonomous. The third change that needs to happen, move into chair four, need to move from being sheep to being shepherds. 
Right, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, Paul writes this to Timothy, In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in the view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And what a Greek, a Greek proverb says, the goal of life is to plant trees under whose shade you'll never sit. In other words, you'll do things that won't benefit you. Your primary actions will be for the benefit of those who come after you, whose actions you will never witness, whose faces you'll never see, and whose names you'll never know. You move from being a sheep to being a shepherd. You begin to take responsibility for the spiritual growth of, of two and three generations down the line. That's what tier four people do, All right? And you say, that's a minister's job, really? And that's what's been so lost in American Christianity. All right, we've stopped looking at what Jesus did, his methods, what he told us to do, and we've imposed a, an American business model on the church where the pastor is an hourly employee and you guys are the customers. Jesus never said that. Jesus basically positioned himself as a coach to train the players to go out and play. If you're part of this church, you're a believer in Christ, you're a follower of Christ, you're, you're, you're not a spectator, you are on the team, and it's time to get in the game. That's what basically what Jesus said. Right? We need a church of people, full of people who understand that. But this is the goal of this church, to build up people, to move them through the chairs into disciple makers where they will go and bear fruit. Uh, you know, and you never know who the Lord will send you to shepherd. I was talking with several parents the other day, really interesting conversation. We were talking about our kids, talking about how strange kids are these days. I'm that guy who talks about how strange kids are. But this is a good thing. It was cool. I, I asked them, I said, how many of your all's kids, boyfriends and girlfriends, really like being at your house. And almost every parent raised their hand, like, yeah, it's weird. Like, what? I, 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 when I was a kid, I was a teenager dating, the last thing I wanted to do was go hang out with her parents, sitting in a room watching TV with her parents. That was not, I would not consider that a good date. That seems like so many want to do that. And, and we, we, we just kind of talked about maybe some of the homes that some of their boyfriends or girlfriends come from. Maybe there's chaos, abuse. Maybe, maybe uh, it's, it's just complete tension and, and they just want to be in a home where there's peace. Maybe that's, maybe that's really all they want. So that's why they want to come over. And, and they, they love just sitting there in the, in the living room with their dates, parents, watching TV. Maybe just enjoying peace. And we talked about how maybe our homes were new visions for these kids. Uh, a vision for a home at peace. A, a, a vision for what a Christian home could be. A vision for marriage, possibly. Maybe they've never seen a Christian marriage. They've never seen a Christian father lead his family at, 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 in prayer before a meal before. They've never seen people loving each other and caring for each other and interested in what's going on in their lives around a meal, around a table. Maybe they've just never seen that, and that's what they want. See, guys, you never know who God will send you to shepherd. Never, you never know. It doesn't necessarily have to be some great, grandiose gesture where you're out preaching on the street corner. It could be right in your home, right? It could be simply letting the boyfriends and girlfriends come over anytime they want, and you simply being the example. God may be delivering someone to you right now. You're missing it. Uh, the fourth one is seeing it, it, the change that needs to happen is seeing the mission of Christ from being optional to being essential. 
I'm optional to essential. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. The last change that happens when we move from chair three to chair four to being disciple makers, makers uh, making disciples who make disciples, is seeing the mission of Christ as essential, not optional. It's not the great option, it's the great commission. All right, and we're, we're called, commissioned, ordered. It's a command. We, we, we get commands in the Bible all the time. You shall not commit murder. That's a command. Not a lot of gray area there. You shall not commit adultery. Not a lot of gray area there. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not a lot of gray area there either. Okay? Chair four person sees the Great Commission. It's something to follow as naturally as they do the Ten Commandments. See? So what we need to do is realize these greater things that Jesus has called us to. The greater things where life really is lived. Greater things in Jesus, making disciples. I want you to turn to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is known as the Great Commission. We talk about this all the time. One of the two big pillars of our church, producing fruit and making disciples. It, it starts off, Jesus says, he gathers all his disciples like this, and he says, go into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world. All the world, that means yourself, your home, your church, your community, your place of business, your, your state, your nation, other nations. All the world is our mission field, all right? Go into all the world and make disciples. Number two, he says, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all right? This is something that we have to really talk about here in the church because a lot of what we talk about as missions or serving is not. It's not. I've seen churches and missions that do a lot of nice things. Build a house. Clean up a street. Those are nice things. We aren't winning people to the Lord. It's not missions. See, if a non-Christian could do it, then it's, then it's not from the Great Commission. I'm not minimizing any of those things. They're good things, and they're good things. But look what Jesus said to do. He said to baptize. He said to win the lost. And if we're not doing that, it's not missions. As much as we like to say it is, it's not. The goal isn't service. The goal is disciples. Like I said, service is a great thing. Don't get me wrong. Many times we serve out of love with no expectation of, 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 of anything else. However, if no one comes to Christ because of our missions, if no one comes to Christ, then we're not doing the mission of Jesus. Right? The third thing is teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you is not enough just to baptize then we have to disciple we have to talk we have to we are commanded to baptize and teach everything that christ commanded that's what it is baptize and teach that's the purpose of life go baptize teach where everywhere the adventure is everywhere right and then jesus says this and i'm with you to the end of the age i love the story of abraham not abraham lincoln the guy in the bible 90 years old, no kids, and all he receives a calling from God to go to leave his homeland, to leave what is safe, to leave what is known, and to go. And Abraham says, where? And God said, I don't know. Just go. And so Abraham wakes up, wakes up his wife, Sarah. Sarah! Sarah, I had a dream. I had a vision. We're going to go create a new humanity. We're going to go create a new, a, a, a new family. We're going to create a new nation. And we're going to do this. And, and, and Sarah's like, what in the 
uh, what? Because yes, we're going to create this new humanity, this new nation, this new everything. And, and Sarah goes, how does this new nation start, Abe? Glad you asked, Sarah. Can't you just see him? And they, they, the Bible says the Abraham and Sarah leaving the city of Ur. Ur. Somebody named the city Ur. Good job. The Bible says, not knowing where they are going. Can't can you just see this old guy going down the road, maybe in a walker? And his neighbor's like, where are you going, Abe? I don't know. When are you going to be back? I don't know. Well, why are you going? And he answers, because God has given me the vision that I can do something great for him. Oh, people, how many of you all are going to live and die in, in, in lives of quiet desperation, not because God hasn't called you to do it, but because you don't have the courage to step out and do that great thing that God has for you? And we're going to waste our lives in mediocrity, waste our lives in, in fear and in hesitation, not because God hasn't called us, because we're too, uh, we're, we're, we're too scared to do what God has for us. So many of us, so many of us. Jesus had one goal, to make disciples who can make disciples, and he's looking for people to step on the adventure with him. What happens if we don't? What happens if we don't? What happens if we just stay, you know, in chair one and two and, and just stay here and, and just be good people and just, I don't know, don't make any waves, living good lives, and we don't make any disciples? What happens? Well, I'll tell you, it's already happened. It's already happened. It happened about 3,500 years ago. After the Israelites were delivered out of slavery and out of Egypt, when Moses parted the Red Sea. The next generation was led by Joshua as a high point of the nation of Israel. They never, never before, never again would they be as faithful. It was the golden age. And then comes the saddest and most haunting of all Bible verses. I tell you, this passage keeps me, keeps me up at night. Can't get it off my mind. It's from Judges 2, 7 through 15. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived them and all who had seen the great things the Lord had done for Israel. <clears throat> Verse 10, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up that knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger and because, he, because they forsook him and served the Baals and the Asterisks. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them to the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them. They were, just as he had sworn to them, they were in great distress. When the church fails in its mission, you all, of making disciples, when fathers and mothers fail to pass on their faith to their children, when Christian businessmen and businesswomen think that their job is more important than making disciples, when, when sports and activities and life and vacation and leisure and play become more important than making disciples, an entire generation will grow up that knows neither the Lord nor what he has done for America. We'll turn and serve the idols Food, sports, sex, media, money, drugs will be plundered by raiders such as drug addiction, 
Depression, anxiety, fear, discord, and violence. The very hand of the Lord will be against us, people. We really think we'll escape the judgments of God or our disobedience. Israel didn't, and neither will we. You see this happening in America today? I know like the band, come on back up. The Bible says that they were in great distress. Question, y'all, how are our kids doing? How's the generation that's coming up? How are they doing? We have boys being told by media, parents that they're girls, vice versa. We have bookstores and online merchants where you can buy Mein Kampf, the Communist Manifesto, responsible for deaths of hundreds of millions of people in the last century alone. Can't buy Dr. Seuss. We have music retailers where you can buy WAP by Cardi B. Number one song of the year last year. Can't buy Baby is Cold Cold Outside. We have more racism in our society than I've ever seen in my time. I don't know about you all. In Lexington, there have been almost as many overdose deaths as COVID deaths since this time last year. We're seeing more censorship of viewpoints than I've ever seen in my lifetime. Cancel culture rears its ugly head. A generation grew up and knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for America. And we of the church have the opportunity to make a difference. We in the church have an opportunity to embrace the call of Jesus, to not sit back and just be good people, but to move into chair four, to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. That is the call of the church. That is the call of the Holy Spirit on the church right now. The question is, what are we going to do, church? What are we going to do? Are you going to be like Abraham and set off not knowing what is going to happen, just that God has given you a vision for you, that you can be and do something great for him. Are you going to be that? I pray that you are. If you have been sitting on the fence this whole last year's a mulligan, I'm asking you to move from into the chair four to become a discipler who makes disciples, who makes disciples, and therefore be that do what Jesus wants us to do. Let's be a church that makes disciples and makes disciples. Are you ready? Are you ready to do that? Awesome. That's what we need to be as a church. Come on, stand up and let's, let's praise this awesome God who has given us this amazing vision for who we can be.